Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. Everybody, you're listening to a sports sprint here on this Friday, October the 23rd, 2020. Good to have you all here for our final show of the week. A very busy Friday show. We got a lot to get to as we embark on the weekend. Um, World Series will pick back up tonight after a day off last night. We had Thursday night football. We're not going to talk about Thursday night football tonight. We're going to leave that for the NFL kickoff show of the weekend. There's so much to talk about with that. We have so much other things to get to. I figure let's just wait on that and leave it for the weekend. So for those of you who want to know what our thoughts on, um, um, you know, the Giant-Eagle game, which was a fantastic game, mind you, um, you'll, you'll get it over the weekend on the NFL kickoff show, which will be po- uh, posted on Sunday uh, morning right before all the week seven games. Um, but, yeah, um, we got so much other things to get to, some big stuff out of the NBA, which kind of, Really just surprised some people. We're going to talk about what's going on there as the NBA closes on making some plans for its next season with their CBA. And so we'll talk about that. We obviously have to talk about the World Series at the table for tonight and what the weekend could bring there. Um, and then we have um, some stuff coming out of college basketball where we are fast approaching the start of college basketball. And a lot of people wondering what's going to happen with, with the early part of the season and, and you know, how everything's going to work. So we'll get into a little bit of that today as well. Um, so lots to get to. Um, people have been asking me about college football because I've been saying, oh, we're going to do more college football. And we're going to do more college football. And what we're going to do is we're going to, do, we're going to, we're going to start interjecting it into our, our – uh, do a little bit. we're going to do a little bit of our NFL kickoff show over the weekend. Um, we'll do it occasionally. We will start doing it more on our regular sports print shows too. But I think I want to kick off our coverage of it um, on the NFL kickoff show. So we'll be doing a little bit of that in more depth, I should say, over the weekend. I am going to touch on a couple of things in regards to college football later on in the program today. So you'll get a little bit today and you'll get a little bit on the weekend. And as we go along, obviously, as you know, the Pac-12 comes back too and we go further into the season, you'll be hearing more 
about it as we go on because there's be, there'll be so much more to talk about. Uh, we'll have all the comp, big conferences in play and all that kind of stuff. So you get a little college football later on in the program, and we'll get into some more over the weekend on the NFL kickoff show as well. And then as time goes on, you'll get more and more of it. That's kind of how I've always done it anyway is to get further into the season. It becomes more and more of a bigger deal in my mind because I, I, I like college football, but honestly, even though there's some big games early, it's, it's hard to get into until you get to like around the time that you should get into the playoff rankings and stuff. So which everything's late this year anyway, right? So, um, but we'll do a little college football interest. we got a busy show. Lots to get to. Let's get down to business here. We start things off, as we always do, by reminding you all of the ways which you can interact and contribute to our show. Have your voice here by emailing us at thesportsprint at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at thesportsprint. And find us on Facebook as well. Just search for the thesportsprint on Facebook. And make sure you like our fan page so you can interact with us and keep up with what's going on at the show at all times. Um, all right, so we're going to open with... Um, the World Series, because, you know, if, if it's not NFL or college football right now, what's the only thing going really right now is 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 uh, baseball, right? And when we last joined you, we were approaching Game 2, which took place Wednesday night. Um, when we last joined you for a sports event, it was the day of Game 2, I should say, because we had Entertainment 4 on last. I hope you tuned into it. Uh, if not, it's an archive. You can check it out. Um, or available on the app, too. Um, shameless plug there. Shameless plug. Um, but yeah, when we last had Sports Brand Wednesday, we were approaching game two, and I said it was a must win for the race. Because if you lose that game, you lost two of the three games by your best three pitchers. You're, you're really your only true, true, true three starting pitchers. You would have lost two of those three games. You have Morton, you have Snell, you have um, Glass now. You lost the game with Glass now. If you lose game two, you lost Snell. You only got Morton left. And to lose the two out of the three games started by your, your only true reliable starting pitching would be devastating. Um, especially when they're pitching uh, Walker Bueller in game three. And you look, and that would just be devastating. And I'd made the case on Wednesday that if Tampa did win game two, then game three, it's not a must win. All right. But I, I always felt like game three is in a very important swing game. Either for, you know, it's either a game where if you're the team that won the first game and you lost the second game, you get your momentum back, or it's the game where if you if you lost the first game and won the second game, you carry your momentum forward and kind of make the other team that won the first game think a little bit. Such a big swing game, and I think it's even bigger in this series. And let me tell you why. You got Morton versus Bu- is it Morton going today? I think it's Morton, right? Because I remember on Wednesday we were we were having some questions about that. Um. I thought it was Morton going today. Let me see if I can. Let me see if I can. I don't know why I didn't. I, I thought I looked at this morning. It is more. It. Where is it? It is Morton. Okay, that's what I thought. All right. So you got Morton versus Bueller tonight. Now let me tell you why this is such a bit. First of all, Morton's been a, a brilliant postseason pitcher. You talk about his time with the Astros, everything's done with the race. Charlie Morton has been a very good big game postseason pitcher. He always throws well in these games. Bueller has had some good success. He obviously didn't have a good game one in the NLCS, but came back with a really good game six in the NLCS. He is the Dodgers' best pitcher right now. Okay, and everybody thinks he's on pace to be a, a dominant ace like for them going forward. If you if you're the Rays and you come out tonight behind Cherry Morton and Morton Morton's a good guy to set the tone because the way he's you know the curve and he, he spins the ball well he's not your traditional power he's not a power pitcher he's more of a finesse pitcher and so you know but but he, so it, he's a guy that really does set the tone for you because he can come out of the gate 
you know, get fooled, fool the Dodgers a little bit and make them think about things. And then if the Rays can come out and score, it, it really makes the Dodgers feel like they're facing up a little because he's a hard, he could be a hard guy to hit because he's more of that finesse type guy. He's not necessarily a power guy. Fastball hitter, fastball pitchers, you go, you know what? And he can throw a fastball. I'm not saying that, but he's not necessarily a power pitcher. Power pitchers, you go, okay, we can wait him out. Maybe we can get a home run here or there. You don't worry about him throwing hard. Well, when they're more, you know, they spin the ball well. They're more of a finesse pitcher like Morton is. It's a little bit tougher, you know, early on if, he, if he's on, you're, you're th- and especially if the other team gets a lead, you're thinking if you're the team that has to face this guy, wow, we're facing an uphill battle. If I'm Tampa, I, I you know, you hope Morton comes out of the gate strong. You hope he gets some runs early. And if you do that, you're going to really put the Dodgers in a bind. And that's why tonight is so big because if the Dodgers were to lose tonight, if you're Tampa, first of all, you did what you really, not, I, I mean, unless you, obviously you like to sweep. Um... um you know, if you could, but if you take two out of the three of the three pitchers that you really rely on and you win two of the three games, you feel good about yourself, right? Um, so if you do that, you win two out of the three games. You put the Dodgers in a hole where they're up, they're down, they're down uh, two games to one, okay? If you win tonight. And here's the thing, you would have won two in a row, so you got tremendous momentum, all right? And here's the other thing. Unlike unlike the Rays, the Dodgers only have two really reliable pitchers. They got Buer and they got Kershaw. Kershaw is not really has not is not really that reliable. The postseason obviously he pitched very well in Game One, but his postseason record we all know it's well documented. He has had struggles in the postseason. So you know you got two reliable pitchers, starting pitchers for the Dodgers. One of which you just don't know, right? You don't know how he's going to be in the postseason. So that really only leads to one tried-and-true pitcher for them in the postseason. Even Buehler has, has had some games where he has to pitch well. Pick a game one in the NLCS. So the Dodgers, you would put them in a situation where they're starting pitching. They're going to be in a hole. And they're going to be like, all right, who do we pitch in game four? You're not going to want to bring Kershaw back on short rest when he's already had injury issues, are you? So who do you go in game four? And their bullpen, while it's, it's it's been better of late, is a bullpen that is not necessarily very reliable. If they have to rely on their bullpen more, then you're putting them in an even bigger of a hole. Because if you think about Buehler pitches tonight in Game 3. You got Game 4, you got Game 5, you have a day off, you got Game 6, you got Game 7. Unless you bring them back on short rest in Game 6. Because he pitches tonight, you got Game 4, Game 5, day off, Game 6. Basically, bring him back on short rest in Game Six. You're you're, you're going to wait on him till Game Seven. And there's no guarantee you make it to a Game Seven. So that's why I'm saying your best potential best pitcher, if given he's pitching tonight, might not be able to go unless on short rest until Game Seven. Now I'm going to be honest. They're facing elimination. They would probably pitch him in Game Six. But if you do that, if you do that, who do you have for Game Seven? They have nobody. They have nobody. They almost have to piece it together. They have nobody. So a, a loss tonight by the Dodgers puts a tremendous amount of pressure on their pitching staff. A tremendous amount of pressure on Kershaw, who's a guy that's already had some issues with the postseason. Puts a tremendous amount of pressure on Buehler, who's just trying really have is 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 really on just starting to get to the point where he's about to break out. And the rest of that pitching staff, which has got a lot of rookies and a lot of guys that aren't tried and true and have had their issues. You know, either out of the bullpen or in, in the postseason. A team that has had issues with pitching 
And, and I've said time and time again, if they lose, just like the previous times they've lost either in the World Series or before they got here on the, in the last few years, if they lose, it's the same thing over and over and over again. It's pitching. They don't have enough pitching. They never address the pitching. If they lose, that's the reason why. They're hitting. Offensively, they're fine. It's going to be the pitching. One of the reasons they survived the NLCS and came back was because they got a lot more out of their bullpen than they usually would get, and Buer stepped up. One of the reasons they won game one, Kershaw stepped up. Their pitching needs to step up. They need to get the job done. And I think tonight is a big, big game, more so for the Dodgers. It's a big game for both teams. I, I think it's a, I think this is a, it's always an important swing game. But I honestly got to think the winner tonight is winning the World Series. I totally believe that because of how important this game is. Because if you think about it from this standpoint, if the Dodgers lose tonight, I just told you what they're facing. An uphill battle, even though it's only two games to one. They're, it's gonna, it's gonna totally change. If they're pitching, it's gonna put them in a hole. You have nobody. You have, you have no idea who's gonna start Game Four. And if you get to Game Five and you pitch Kershaw, you have no idea what you're gonna get from him based on his track record in the postseason. Even if you survive that, all right. Do you pitch? I mean, do you pitch? You move Brewer up on short rest, or do you leave it alone? Because then you don't have a Game Six starter. If you move him up, you don't have a Game Seven starter. Pitch him in game if if you if you don't move up you don't have a game six starter because you don't have anybody to rely on because the other guys haven't stepped up so that's what the Dodgers would be facing a lot of uncertainty with their pitching and they'd be in already in a, 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 two, a two games to one hole and we know that Tampa isn't going to mind not having a starter for game four they'll go to their bullpen and they've had success with that they're okay bullpen in games they'll bullpen game four and know they can bring Glass now back in game five. And I don't know if Glassdoor's going to pitch the same way he did in Game 1. He'll probably pitch better. Remember, they have, and they have the travel days, too, so they can fully employ their bullpen, even if he doesn't pitch as well. And I think one of the reasons why Glassdoor got stuck with as much as he was in Game 1 by Kevin Cash was because he's like, you know what? I, I want to try to save my bullpen as much as possible because we've been using them a lot, and even though we have the, the, the days off in the middle of the series, the, more, the, le- the less I use my bullpen early, the more I can later on. And so I think he'll be in a position in Game 5, if he has to, to go to the pen a little bit more. So that's, this, this is a big game. This is a big game for both teams. It's a big game for the, the, the Dodgers in that if, if they don't win, they're looking at being in a big hall with a pitching staff that's very, very suspect. That's not a good place to be in. Not knowing who's going to start Game 4. Not knowing if you if you move Bueller up to Game 6, it's going to start a potential Game 7. If you leave Bueller in Game 7, you might not get to a Game 7. Who would pitch Game 6? You know, there's so many questions. Because you only got two really good starters. And one and, and Kershaw is not necessarily good in the postseason. You don't know what you're going to get from him day in and day out with the postseason. Or in injuries. And Bueller's the same way. He just got, he got rid up in, in, in the NLCS. You just don't know what the Dodgers pitching. And you don't know what the bullpen, you get what you get out of the starter. Maybe the bullpen doesn't do a good job. So there's a lot of uncertainty on the pitching staff. And if you if you have uncertainty on your pitching staff and you don't feel good about your pitching staff, then you don't want to be in too big of a hole. Like if, if, and, and two games to one might not seem like a big hole, but if, if that's your situation, based on what the Dodgers could be facing, it could be because you don't know who you're going to send up there tomorrow. If you if you win tonight, you feel you're like all right. Well, we we have a two games to one lead. We can deal with this because then on game five, you know we got Kershaw, and then we have Buer waiting in the background too. You're like all right, we can figure this out. 
But if you lose tonight, then you're like, crap, we're down two games to one. Tampa only needs two games. We don't really have a true game four starter that we can get behind. Yeah, we might have Kershaw in game five, but if we, given that we don't even have a starter for tomorrow, there's a good chance we might lose tomorrow unless we score like 12 runs, which is hard to do on Tampa. And then you got Kershaw pitching for their season on, in game five. And is that something that you feel great about? No, because Kershaw hasn't always been good in the postseason. But then even if you win that, okay, it's 3-2. Then you got game six, and you have to make a decision because you're still facing elimination. Do you go to Buer? Do you move Buer up and pitch him on short rest, but you don't know how he's going to respond to that? Or do you leave him alone and go with somebody? But who do you go with? And that's what I'm saying. That's a problem for the Dodgers. That's why it's a huge uphill battle, even if they're, up, or, or even if they, even if they're only down by one game. That's why tonight's significant. Because if the Dodgers win tonight, they can go, all right, you know what, let's pick the best option we have for tomorrow. Let's see if we can sneak a win. If not, we got Kershaw in game five. You hope that Kershaw does the job. You even the series up. I mean, no, not even the series. You get a series lead. And then you're like, you know what, we're up three games to two. You got game six. You got game seven. You probably hold Buer for game seven. Unless you want to be really aggressive and pitch him in game six if you're up three two. But if you do that. Then you lose Bueller, and then you got Game 7, and you don't have your best pitcher. So I would say if you have a series lead, you might feel like, all right, let's just go out there, see if we can win it without Bueller, and then know you have your, your, what you think is your best starter available in Game 7. That's, what I would, that's how I would operate. But now for the Rays, it, again, it's a big, a big game. But I don't, if they lose tonight, I don't think there isn't much of a bind as the Dodgers. Why? Because, look... Yeah, they still be down two games to one, but they're totally comfortable with their bullpen, you know, doing a bullpen game. They're totally comfortable with that. They are, especially with travel, especially with days off in the series. They they are, and they know they got glass now for game five. Because here's the thing, here's what they got: they they got three starters, right? That we they feel good about, right? Glass now, Snell, Morris, and they also feel good whenever they have to whenever they bullpen their games. Well, game four they'd have a bullpen game. Game five, they'd have Glass now. Game six, they'd have Snell. Game seven, they'd have Morton, who's been great in big games. They don't have the problem the Dodgers have. Dodgers don't. The Dodgers only have two reliable pitchers, and we talk. And again, I put reliable in quotes because Buehr hasn't always had the best success in the postseason, and Kershaw obviously has had problems in the postseason. So they don't have these problems. They're looking at bullpenning in game four, which they feel great about. And then there's their three starters who they feel great about in game five, six, and seven. They're lined up. They're fine. They're good with pitching. And offensively, they just do whatever they need to do to get the job done. So Tampa, even though, again, this is a tremendous swing game, and I feel like whoever wins probably wins the series, just because of a, from a momentum standpoint, from a situational standpoint. But I also think, too, if anybody can overcome that, well, okay, they lost a game that probably in many people's eyes is a swing game that could help you, probably cement you winning the series. Because I think that's what it is. I think whoever wins tonight probably gives them as close to a cementing of winning the series as you possibly can get. Obviously, to be proven wrong, but I always felt like that in Game 3, that winning that Game 3 is a huge, huge thing. And that often sets you up to win the series. That's why I always feel like if you win game three, I think it's like 99.9 that you're probably going to win the series. But if anybody can overcome those th- those odds in a loss, it'd be Tampa because of how they're lined up. So it's not nearly as dire for Tampa, but still an uphill battle. But they, they'd be in a position where a position where they could come back if they could, if, 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 it, if at all possible. You know what I mean? They'd be in a much better position than the Dodgers and a lot of other teams in that spot would be. 
<coughs> and plus they seem comfortable playing from behind. So, um, you know, but so I, I don't think they'd be things wouldn't be as dire. It wouldn't look. It would be good. And certainly, you, you, the, the odds are not in your favor because of how, like I said, how important I feel like Game Three always is. And I do feel like it's 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 not a lock, but it's pretty close. That if you win to if you win tonight, you probably have a good chance. Uh, probably have uh, probably win the series. But again, Tampa could overcome that. They're in a position to overcome that. I would doubt that they would, but they could. That's what I'm saying. There's a chance. Small one, but there's a chance. Dodgers, I don't know if they. I don't. I very highly doubt they'd overcome it. Very highly doubt it. So tonight's a big, big game. A big game for both teams tonight. Morton versus Buer, a great pitching matchup. Um, it should be a good game. Um, and again, I don't know if they announced starters for game four. Um, let me see. I don't know if they announced starters for game four yet. Did they? Well, Dodgers are going with Urias, which is probably the best option they have. And, and Tampa's on the side because that's probably, it's going to probably be their bullpen anyway. And Kershaw's going to go in game five. It's what we all suspect. And then, you know, game six, I guess, will it'll all depend. But we all suspected that. So should be a good game tonight. Um, if I had to guess, I think the Dodgers recognize the importance of tonight too. I think they see it. I think they know it. They, 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 well, everything I just said, I think they're well, very well aware of. I think the Dodgers win tonight. I do. I think the Dodgers win tonight. Uh, but if the Rays do, then boy, it's going to be interesting to see how the Dodgers play all this. It really is. I mean, I know they got Urias, and he's not bad. He's done some good things, too. But they would need him to step up big tomorrow. Big. Um, so, so we'll see how tonight works out. So, World Series Game 3, 808 tonight. Buer versus Morton should be good. Uh, Morton's had big performances in the postseason before. Buer obviously had a big performance in the last series. He's done some good things too, so it should be good. Both teams should be a very, very good matchup. Um, all right, so we're going to shift from baseball real quick to um, I'm going to dive in. I'm going to throw some things out there for college football for this weekend here. I'm going to take the opportunity to do it right now before we go to break. Um, so this is a big weekend in college football because this weekend in college football, the big 10 returns, uh, something we didn't think we'd see this year. The big 10 actually returns tonight. Um, Illinois and Wisconsin will open things up at eight o'clock PM tonight on the big 10 network. Um, and then you got on Saturday, Nebraska, Ohio state. Um, as far as the big 10 goes, you have, um, Penn State, Indiana, you have Michigan, Minnesota, so you got some good games from the Big Ten on 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 Friday and on Saturday, and it's hard to believe it's already Week Eight of the college football season. We haven't talked a lot about it. It's been it's been fairly uneventful. You had a big game last week with Alabama and Georgia, um, which which really was a, a very good game, uh, which Alabama won. A lot was made about Nick Saban and him testing positive for COVID. That was like the big story. Um, kind of overwhelmed the game. But the game ended up being good. And it was a statement game for Alabama. Even though it's a 41-24 win, it still was a relatively interesting game to watch. And really com- and was competitive, at least in the first half. And in the second half, Alabama opened things up. But there hasn't been really too many big highlights. But I've always said, you know, there's only, um, 
you know, there's 16 weeks in a, in a, in a college football season. Uh, you know, but but it really feels like the season, even though there might be some big games early and there have been in the last few years, until you get to the halfway point of the season, it's not like the NFL. I feel like it's not until the halfway point of the season that people start to get, like, really, unless you're a diehard college football player, really invested. And this weekend, you have some significant games that I think are going to really set the table for for what's to come. Obviously, the Big Ten opening up is big. Um, you know, you got NC State, North Carolina on Saturday. Um, uh, Notre Dame's going to get a test at Pittsburgh. Uh, Notre Dame's in very good position right now, actually. Um, Iowa State, Oklahoma State. That's a good game. Um, Cincinnati, SMU. So there's some pretty big games on, on, on Saturday that I think are going to be do a lot, do a lot sort of setting things up for for down the road. And then you know, you know, in the next week you got games like Ohio State, Penn State, um, <coughs> um, Michigan State, Michigan. You know, so some big games coming up. Uh, and the Pac-12 obviously doesn't jump in until uh, week ten, which is the first weekend of November. Um. So you know that uh, or second weekend of November. So, um, that's that's what you, that's going to make things very very interesting because you don't know a lot a lot of what's going to be the big t- uh, the Pac 12s chances at getting into a, a playoff spot or into a major bowl game is going to be dictated by the performances of do- the the big teams and the other power conferences. Um, you know, does anybody else step up besides Clemson? Um, in the ACC, does Virginia Tech step up? Does Florida State step up? Does Miami step up? Miami has already been looking good, you know. Um, does anybody else step up? You know, North Carolina's in play. You know, does, any, uh, does anybody else step up and put themselves in a position? Same thing with the Big Twelve. How many teams are in contention in the Big Twelve? How many teams end up in contention in the Big Ten? I most people think Ohio State's the best chance there. Um, for the Big Ten to get a team into the playoff, which I, I suspect is probably the case. But who knows? Maybe somebody else steps up, like Penn State. Penn State's in position, too. How Does Notre Dame stay at the top? Because if they do, then they're very much in play. Um, you know, so you look, at, you look at these teams. You look at these teams, and you say, and you say well, okay, what are we looking at? Who you know, who's, And obviously the SEC. How many teams out of the SEC will be very much in contention. Because you're going to have to grade things on a curve, right, if you're going to look at these teams objectively. Well, the Pac-12 didn't start till November, so they're going to play less games. But what did the teams that the teams that are doing well in the Pac-12, what have what have they done, who have they beaten, and did they do enough to make, say, well, maybe this team from the SEC shouldn't get in, maybe this team from the ACC shouldn't get in. That's what you're going to be saying. Did they do enough in a smaller sample size to make you think they belong? And there's going to be a lot of questions, I think. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be critical because I do think there's going to be some interesting discussions had about, well, okay, they might have played this many games or whatever, but at the same... And, and, and you can make this case for any teams that postpone games, whatever. They have less games than another team that you're considering. You're going to say, well, okay, did they do enough? That's what you're going to hear about. Did they do enough in the games that you have? Because some are going to have smaller sample sizes than others. And, you know... The, and you have to be objective because you can't hold against a team the fact that they played less games. You just can't do that. You know, you might say, well, this is an SEC team. They played the whole year. They played more top-notch competition. And pastors, you should say, well, that that's fine. You could do that. 
because everybody else played everybody played a full schedule. You can compare those schedules, but you can't penalize a team, you know, by, by saying, "Well, okay, they played twelve games versus your six or seven, and you know, you can't do that." Now, if you want to say, "Well, they're six or seven in their six or seven games." They beat three or four ranked teams or three or four really good teams versus in your twelve, you know, ten, twelve games, you only you only beat two good teams. You know, you might have to do distinctions like that. You really have to look at it deeply this year, I think. And there's going to be some people that don't. Uh, obviously, there's people that not, there's always people that don't agree. Okay, there's some people that have problems with even in a normal year. But this year, I think you're going to have a lot of people with some major, major issues who ultimately who they select not only for the playoffs but for some of the big Premier Bowl games. There's going to be a lot of question marks. There's going to be a lot of complaints because people are going to look at this and go, I don't know if I agree with this. I don't know, you know, you might see a team that only played six or seven games get look, get put in over a team that played ten games. You know, they're going, to have, they're going to have to really have reasons for why they select who they select and really and for explaining themselves. They really are. And, I, and I, I'm confident they will. It's, but this this is the, I, I don't envy them. This is going to be a tough, tough year. Because of the way it all went down, the way it's all being put together. College basketball won't have that problem because they're going to play enough games. But college football, it's a, it's, it really is going, it's going, to be a, it's going to be a problem. It really is. It's going to be a problem. There might be some no-brainers like Alabama or Clemson. But then I, 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 would guarantee, I almost guarantee you're going to have one or two teams that, you know, whether it's for the playoffs or for the bowl games, you're going to look at and go, I don't know. And there's going to be, other, there's going to be another couple of teams that are sitting there that maybe play less games. You're going to be like, I don't know. And then what do you do there? That's what was problematic. It's, it's very tough this year. I don't envy the committee. I really don't. I really don't. College basketball, it, it's going to be pretty much what it is every year because you just play, you're going to play enough games and people aren't going to worry about whether you, only, you, only, you play maybe three or four less games because there's enough games there where you can get a read of a team. But in this situation, when you're cutting down a schedule from you know what it normally is down to, you know in some cases, six or seven games, it's very hard. It's very hard. So um, this weekend, obviously, we have a very big weekend in college football. The Big Ten returns in two weeks. The Pac-12 returns. So all the big conferences will be in play. Um, you can start comparing these teams against each other. And, look, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the teams in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 to prove themselves because they're going to have a smaller sample size and less time to do it. Some teams, uh, you know, teams that have been playing already have had the chance to make statements and get themselves out in front. So you're, you are, you're well behind the eight ball here. So these teams are going to face a lot of pressure, and you wonder how they're going to deal with that pressure. And that will start this weekend with the Big Ten um, jumping into the fray. So it should be an interesting weekend of college football this weekend and in the coming weeks as Big Ten and Pac-12 return. Um, obviously, like I said, we'll do more. We'll do, we'll we'll cover it a little bit more. Do a little bit more of it on, on the NFL kickoff show over the weekend, and obviously going forward, we'll be talking about more here as we head down the stretch as we're in the second half of the season. Funny we're talking about the second half of the season. Um. Um, as some teams just getting started, but that's just the year we're in, right? So just want to dive into, kind of give a general overview of what's going on in college football this weekend, and you know, obviously going forward here, and we'll obviously talk about as the playoff rankings get unveiled and all that kind of fun stuff. So it should get exciting now. Here now, all the the, the big teams will be back in play and go and and and. We can kind of compare them all together and stuff like that. So, so it should be a good college football weekend. Um, it's also. Um, soon, I should say, because soon, I, I just lost my train, uh, I just lost, I had a really cool transition, as a host, I hate that, when I have a cool transition, I lose it, oh, there it is, uh, pretty soon, we're going to also be able to say, this should be, this is going to be a good college basketball weekend, 
Why? Because college basketball is soon to come back. And we're starting to get an idea of how some early season plans are shaping up. We'll talk a little bit about that after break. Plus, the NBA. We thought maybe it might be a, 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 a break or at least a, a little while before we see it again. Well, turns out we might be seeing it a lot quicker than we thought. We'll talk about that after the break as well. This is the Sports Sprint on this Friday, October the 23rd. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Um, so, you know, we've been taught, we just got done talking about college football. And one of the things we talked about in relation to college football over the last, um, you know, uh, uh, well, really more so in the summer because we haven't talked a lot about it lately because we've been focusing on other things. But, um, you know, when you think back to, um, you know, the summer when we were trying to figure out what was going to happen with college football and, you know, a lot um, there was a lot of confusion, obviously the Big Ten, the Pac-12 ended up, you know, adding to that confusion by saying, well, we're not going to play, and then ultimately deciding to play, and, you know, I had said all along, I said, look, they're not, they're not, that ain't going to happen, folks, they're not, you know, I said, they're not going to play in the spring, if ultimately they're going to either go back on what they said, or it's not going to play at all, and that's ultimately what happened, was that they went back and decided to play because I think they realized that there was, it was just, uh, they weren't going to play in, in, in the spring. There's just no way logistically it was going to get cut in with the draft. There's going to be too many problems. So generally there was a lot of confusion in college football. Um, a lot of confusion in college football. And, you know, to that end, um, you know, we talked a lot about how basketball really looked like, college basketball really looked like they were ahead of the game. You know, they're already talking over the summer. They are, they had, look, they had already said to the, everybody that they were not going to cancel another March Madness because they lost so, it, it, it kills their finances. They lost so much money last year. And everybody understood why they did it last year. It hurt, but they did it because not much was known about the virus. Well, this time around, now people know enough about the virus, they can do a bubble. It's, it's so easy in college basketball to do the conference tournaments and stuff because they really are bubbles. When you have college kids going on the road to the conference tournaments, to the NCAA tournaments, they're almost in bubbles. Throughout the whole thing, you know, they they go play their games. They you know go to, they go to um 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 they they go you know they go they go to hotel. They go to the practice facility. That's what they do. That's all they do. And, or and, or they're back at the hotel doing their homework, whatever they're doing. That's that's what they do. And so college, I think, is easier than even the NBA was. You know, so um. I said, I think they're going to have an easier time figuring that part out. Even, I mean, so I, I don't have the same worries about um, 
college basketball to the college football and other sports. Um, so I think they're very well positioned. But we had, to, you know, again, like I said, they were talking, um, you know, all along, making plans, kind of like the NFL was to an extent, but even more so, like being more proactive and, being, you know, looking at protocols and what they'd have to do and bubbles and how they handled the early part of the season. When's the best time for them to start? Maybe they start, <coughs> obviously, when. Um, you know, people, kids, students aren't on campus because some uh, college are shutting, shutting down um, after Thanksgiving. So maybe that gives them a better chance. So they were thinking through everything. And they announced early on that they were going to push things back and start around November 25th, around Thanksgiving. Because, again, you don't have students on campus. They figured it's going to be easier. Uh, try to fit as many games in between Thanksgiving and Christmas as possible. And then, um, you know, then you, you, you know, you do the rest, you know, the conference season. Make, make some conference games in, in December even. Try to get as many games in as possible and, you know, go from there. Um, you know, and that's, and that's again, they, they had their ducks in a row. And they even, I mean, the NCAA even came out and announced that they're going to allow winter sports athletes to have another year of eligibility. So, you know, I, I got asked this question. And, you know, I was going to wait to the question segment to address it or, you know, the next segment to address it. But I'm going to do it now because I think it, it, it's, it's important to bring it up here. People ask me, well, why why does it seem like college basketball has their 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 plans together and college football was a mess? Remember, college the NCAA doesn't have as much power in college football. It's essentially a free for all. Obviously, the conferences and everything, NCAA has much more power in college basketball for better or worse. And in this case, I think it's for the better because they were on this from the beginning. They stayed in touch. They worked with the conferences. They all came together. And, and there was a motivating factor. A lot of the coaches, everybody kind of comparing plans. At one point, we heard they might make, they might have every team make the NCAA tournament. Like there were so many things being tossed around and discussed, and um, and ultimately they figured out what they were going to do, and they 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 went from there. And I applaud them. They they you know it's like the imagine you out what the NBA did and what even I mean to the NFL did. They got they had their plans. They put them in the. They they went back and forth. They communicated. And they figured it all out, and there has never been any like hiccups. There's you know like like teams not knowing what's going on with practices and everything. Everybody's been on the same page so far. It's like all the college basketball players seem like they're doing a good job with this, and practices and everything. So it's looked like they they've really done a good job, and you know you commend them for that. And now we know at the end of November the season's going to start. Obviously, everybody had to go back to the drawing board with their schedules, particularly with non conferences because. You know, you're going to try to limit travel. You might have to go into bubbles. And so we've been hearing a lot over the last couple of months about potential bubble situations for the early part of the season. Because remember, there's usually holiday tournaments. A lot of them have been canceled. You're hearing about them moving to different locations, maybe combining tournaments in one location so they can be held in the same location. Um, you know, and do like a bunch of like bubbles so that you can play enough non-conference games to fulfill a schedule. Um, so you've been hearing a lot about different bubbles, different things they can, teams can do. And obviously some teams are going to be playing some conference games in their own buildings. Um, you know, hopefully not have to travel too far. They're going to try to limit travel as much as possible. Um, kind of like baseball did. So, you know, you're hearing a lot about all the different things that they're thinking about doing. Again, very on the ball, very on the nose here. Um, and then today, a big, big, big announcement, um, as far as, um, you know, plans for what they're going to be doing going forward as far as early season. Um, and one of those big plans is a thir uh, over 30 teams playing in a, what is called a Mohegan Sun bubble. All right. 
this uh, Mohegan Sun is on tribal land in Connecticut, and it's finalizing these plans to host more than 30 college basketball teams, which will become a modified it'll become a modified bubble for several early season tournaments, including two being moved from New York. Um, they teamed up Mohegan Sun with the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, um, which holds its men's tip-off term and women's challenge there every year, and the Gazelle Group, which runs the Empire Classic and the Legends Classic in New York. The organizers are planning to hold these tournaments and several other pods of games, which will get names in the next few weeks at the Mohegan Sun. Um, so it's going to be like in a bubble. There will be at least nine pods of games beginning with the Empire Classic on November 25th and 26th, which will include Villanova, Baylor, Arizona State, and Boston College. Um, and UConn, USC, Virginia, Florida, St. John's, UMass, Vanderbilt, BYU, Louisville, and NC State, other men's women's programs also have agreed to play. Um, officials from Gazelle in the Hall of Fame are meeting Friday for to find out some of the details. Um, again, this will all take place between November 25th and December 5th, up to seven games per day. Um, they have, they have protocols for testing, cleaning, and managing sports during the pandemic. Mohegan Sun has its own medical staff facility to treat and anyone who may be infected. Uh, the resort had teamed earlier with Viacom over the summer to produce televised boxing matches and mixed martial arts events there. So they, they're familiar with holding events there during the pandemic. Um, they have safety devices as part of reopening in June, including ultraviolet lighting and special filters and HVAC systems. So they're very well prepared. Very, very well prepared. So this is a good this is a good situation, I think, and it'll allow some of these teams to um, you know get some games in, um, and then they can go back to their their home arenas where there won't be anybody on campus because a lot of, and a lot of camps will be closing after Thanksgiving for the se semester and not going back till I, in some cases not till February, and in that time frame I think that's when college basketball wants to play the majority of its games. I think that's the general plan. Is that they will play the majority of their games during that time, whether they're in these early bubbles like we just talked about, or they go back to their arenas and play the rest of their non-conference schedule. Maybe play a couple conference games before Christmas, pause for Christmas, and then get back into things, and then you know play you know January there. And 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 I think I think from what I'm reading that a lot of school, colleges will be back what middle of February, not gonna have a spring break. So you know middle of February, and then. You know, you, you, and then they, and now you might have students back on campus, but by that point, you play most of your season. Things might be better. It might be a vaccine, you know, the whole thing, right? So that's their plan. You know, by that point, you figure, you know, you're starting, what, a month or a month early? And I think they're going to try to, um, exp I mean, they're not going to play as, as many games as they normally do, so they don't have to worry about maybe making up games at the beginning of the schedule. Um, so they might play, what, I think, what, maybe 10 non-conference games, maybe cut off three or maybe eight. I don't know. We'll see how they play it out. And then they play their full allotment of conference games. So if they end up playing some of those in December, maybe let's say they play two or three. And then January, you know, and if I, by the time you get to February, you're playing, what, maybe four or five games left? So, I mean, you're not looking at that many more games left. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it will benefit them. They feel like it's better to do that than have kids on to do it when the students are on campus. It's probably safer for the kids and... Um, so it makes sense, I guess, but, um, but you, you and again, there's, there's this, this, this one looks like it would be the biggest kind of grouping of teams and, you know, cause you have multiple tournaments held at one location, but there's going to be other bubbles too. You know, you talk, I think there's going to be one in Kentucky. There's going to be one in North Carolina, uh, at Asheville where they're going to play, I think the Molly classic down there. So Molly Invitational down there. So, you know, there's going to be a bunch of different things going on, different terms. There's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of college basketball. It's going to be good. 
um, over the and over over that first month from like November twenty fifth to Christmas, I think you're gonna see a lot of games. I wouldn't be surprised by the time you could play. You see, like probably at least twelve, thirteen games for a team played by that point. Um, you know, which again is is it's not that unusual because usually you see that, but you know, usually you have the whole month of November and you're only gonna have a, about one week in November. So the fact that you're gonna get that many games done probably in that short period of time. Is is going to show you how much speed they're going to probably act with early on. And I think they'll act at the same speed in the, in January too, because again, the idea is to play as many games as possible before I think students come back to campus, and because it's, it's just safer that way. Um, so again, you know, college basketball really on, on the ball here. You know, by, by within the next week or so, you're probably going to know all the all the plans. For the early season, you're gonna have the full schedule for each team for the conference. You're gonna know everybody, you know, when everybody's gonna play, you know, where everybody's gonna be. And again, you have to commend them. They they've been very organized. They've been they've thought everything through. They're on the ball here. Good for them. So interesting, you know. Yeah, I thought that was interesting development to hear about that. You know, grouping a bunch of couple tournaments together, one location. I think that's a good idea. Um, and for those wondering how some of these teams are getting the non-conference games, and that's one example of how they're going to do it and do it safely. So, you know, look, when we're all looking for, you know, sports, because obviously when you get to November, you, you're in the final stretch of the NFL season, um, and college football is winding down a little bit. Of course, you have some teams, uh, conferences starting late, so you might have some more in December than you normally would have. But if you're looking for more co- co- stuff, you know, you're going to have college basketball in full swing. So I'll give you another another sport to kind of get you through, especially during the dark months of winter. So so that's good to have. It really is. Um, and you might have more than college basketball, um, you know, uh, to kind of fill in the gaps between football. Um, because the NBA might be back a lot sooner than we all thought. Um, and, and what do I mean by that? Well, today... News resurfaced um, in regards to the NBA, um, where it's been said that the NBA Board of Governors, which, it, which was meeting today, is discussing possible changes to plans for the 2021 season, including starting as quickly as possible, playing fewer than 82 games, and not waiting for fans to be permitted to all league arenas. Apparently, there's been discussion among owners about starting as soon as Christmas Day to take advantage of that historically prime NBA showcase, which is something I proposed months ago. Remember, I said that would be perfect for them. That's that to me is like, you know, that's 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 their that's their big national showcase. When you talk about the NBA, many people, yeah, they have opening night in October and all that stuff. But we all know when people, an NBA has Christmas Day. That's their day. That's almost like their official kickoff. If you think about it, like people, that's when people start going, oh, the NBA. Oh, yeah, Christmas Day. Oh, they're on Christmas Day. Well, I need something to watch while I'm with my family. And then, oh, let's watch the NBA. It's their spotlight. And I think that would be perfect. I said the next best thing would be Martin Luther King, which I guess is also being discussed, starting Martin Luther King Day in mid-January. I said those would be the two ideals. You can't get together for Christmas Day. And maybe the virus is still a little too, you know, worrisome. Okay, fine. Maybe wait a couple more weeks. Wait till after the holidays. Maybe some guys, some guys want to be away from their families for the holidays, given the fact that they just went away from their families for months. Um, and then wait till Martin Luther King Day. And that's got historical significance, too. That's always a big weekend for the NBA, too. So why not? So I think either way would be good. Um, now, you, you recall that last month, NBA Commissioner Am Silver said that the goal for next season was to play a standard season, 82 games, and playoff in home arenas in front of fans. Now that could still happen, but in, I guess in, in in the last few day, days, the governors have pivoted and said that they're considering a quicker timeline. 
Um, there are some that want to continue to hold out for fans to be permitted. Um, they're also discussing tournament and playing scenarios. The NBA apparently has been uh, thinking all along that in this being their 75th anniversary season. Uh, well, not this year, but next year, 2021-22 being their, their anniversary season. They want to experiment with new revenue-generating formats. Um, you know, and after using a playing tournament last year, maybe they used it again this year. Um, any agreement between the governors on a course for next season will have to be taken to the NBA Players Association for approval. The two sides went several times since the conclusion of the finals to discuss financial and scheduling changes ahead. October 30th is the key date because the NBA and NBA PA agreed that day would be the deadline to compete ongoing discussion on modifications to the CBA for the 2020-2021 season, a date that requires the league union to provide 45 days notice if it either decides to terminate the CBA. Uh, Sarah Dexter continued to believe it's a remote possibility. That would be eight weeks before Christmas, and Sober has told the union that there would be at least be eight weeks between the agreement and the formal starting of next season. Um, there have been talks between the NBA and the union. They've been productive. Um, on the necessary financial allowance out 2020-2021 cap and luxury tax thresholds to account for the massive losses in revenues. There are ongoing talks uh, centering on increased escrow taken from player salaries. Um, so generally speaking, it looks like there's been, you know, the team, both sides are talking. There's no tension. It looks like they all understand the situation. Um, but what you take from this is, what's in, is, is the fact that it looks like we've kind of trended back, right? Because if you remember, you know, over the course of the summer, there was this thought that, you know, there'd be a very quick offseason, right? You know, the league finishes in October, then there's a draft, then it's the offseason. I think, I think Adam Silver had proposed that early on. And then you start in December, the new season. Because there was this, there was this thought, well, they got the Olympics next summer, right? And you, if these guys want to go play, you have to have the season done before then. So, you know... <laughs> I mean, how do you try to play as many games as possible? Try to, or we try to play a full season and get all those games in. Well, maybe you don't play a full season, but you know, you have to, the general sense is we got to get the season over before the Olympics. You can't do it this year. But then you heard Silver about a month about a month ago say, "Oh, well, we're not worried about the Olympics. You know, we want we we're more. It's it's more about getting fans to the stands. We can't do have another year like this with no fans. We need the revenue." If we have to wait, we'll wait. You were hearing, they might wait. You were here in January. You were here in February. You were here in even March. And a lot of people question the March thing because of March Madness, and you know, you know that that might not be the smartest thing. So there, there was, generally, it was looking like it was going to be more of a later thing, and that Christmas December was not a thing. Okay, and you had heard, like I said, I had said before, I thought Christmas was a perfect. If not Christmas, I think Martin Luther King weekend is perfect because of the historical significance, right? So I thought that would be perfect. Either one would be perfect. Um, so to have them discussing that makes a lot of sense to me. But there's going to be a lot of people that say, well, what's changed? And, and let me just say what I think has changed. I think the ratings woke them up. You know, there a lot's been said about the ratings. Obviously, the ratings for the finals weren't any good. The ratings for the, re the bubble, for the most part, trended downward after the early part, which really suggests to you that after curiosity waned, after people got a sense of what this was about, they're like, you know what, all right, I'm done. Some people suggest that people got sick of, of, of the, all the social justice campaigning. I don't know if it was that. I don't know if it was that. Honestly, God, I don't think that was it. Okay? Maybe there were some people that got annoyed, but I don't know if they really factored into the ratings. Okay? I, and I, honestly, I... Um, honestly, I, don't, I really don't think that that was it. You know, I don't think that would have been enough to make a dent. Okay? Because that was going on in other sports, too. And they didn't see what the NBA saw. 
Um, could it be some people thought maybe it was because they were sick of, of LeBron James and it being all about LeBron and LeBron's there all the time. And even though he wasn't there last year and, you know, but still it's like, it's all about LeBron, 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 LeBron. Um, I guess it could be in regards to the finals. Maybe people were just sick of it or they just thought the Lakers, nobody was going to stop the Lakers. So why bother tuning in? Maybe that was part of it. It could be. I'm willing to buy that more on the social justice thing. Um, but what I think is the biggest was the biggest factor in this was the time of year. Now, I, before somebody says, "Well, we're in a pandemic, and you know, people, you know, it, it, you think that people want to watch this, and just not as much into what." Let's keep in mind when did this start? This started in July. It started in July. Why, why is that significant? Well, a lot of states were open by that point. So it's not like there's many, it's not like it wasn't like in April and May where there's a lot of people staying at home, right? People were doing more things outdoors because that's what, pe that, what people were being told to do. It's safer outdoors and go out and enjoy the outdoors, able to do more things outdoors. And people go more outdoors in the summer anyway. They're not watching as much sports. Why do you think baseball, you know, used to, I mean, unless you're a diehard baseball fan, people aren't even watching baseball in the, in, in the, in the midst of summer because they're out and about. Sports ratings are never that good. Not, ratings in general are good in the summer. People are out and about. They're not sitting at home watching TV. Now, you're arguing like, well, wait a minute. Why? Why Then why didn't it rebound in September? I mean, NFL ratings were good in September. You know, baseball ratings seem to get a little bit better in September. Actually. Now, they, they're not crazy good. They've had some problems, too. But you seem to get somewhat better, right? You know, what? what I mean, NHL seemed okay. Well, what happened? You know what I think happened? I think you lost the momentum. NHL, people who watch NHL are going to watch no matter what. And they don't kick up that much mainstream anyway, so forget about their ratings for a minute. MLB, same kind of situation right now. You don't get too, they don't get too much of the mainstream as certain teams are involved. And, you know, like I said, I think a lot of people, a lot of people are down MLB right now anyway, so you don't expect ratings to But the NBA has been doing very well. And I think with the problem with the NBA when it got to September was, remember, people were still looking for any excuse to be outside because it's safer. Right? You had schools starting up, you had colleges starting up, and you had more competition. Football was back. You had baseball in the midst of a playoff push. You, had, you, know, you had competition, and I think that's the problem. Too much competition, the time of year, I think those things were, and, and people being generally more busier than they were at the beginning of the pandemic, that is what I think was the differences. And I think the NBA sees that, they know that, and they're like, you know what? Even though there was a thought early on in the summer that maybe we could do this and maybe extend into the summer, maybe that's a good thing for us. Maybe we, maybe starting the season on Christmas Day or Martin Luther King Day every year is a good thing. Even you know, even if that means it screws over us in the Olympics, you know, and, and it makes things messy with that. Maybe it's worth it for us, you know, because all we have to deal with in the summer is Major League Baseball, right? That's all you have to really deal with, right? You know, but I think what they've learned. Is that maybe they were wrong to think that. Because, yes, you only have one... As far as... In a normal year, you only have baseball to compete with, right? But if you allow it to get too far in... Too, too far in... You, you, you get into football. And that you can't compete with. And, okay, even if you don't allow it to get into September when football starts... And it's just about the summer... You might not be competing with necessarily other things on TV... Particularly sporting events... But what you are competing with... 
is summer itself. You're competing with people being outdoors more, being more active, being doing more, being more, and, and not being around the house. And if they're not around the house, they're not going to watch your game. I'm sorry. And I think that they, I think that they learned that. I think that they learned that. Okay, while we might not face much, much on on t- on TV competition or a competition in regards to sports, you are you did face other competition for people's time, even in a pandemic. Because again, people are people had sat in their homes all spring. Do you really think that they were going to sit in their homes all summer when? They were being told by medical professionals and all the all, all the experts that being outside you could you'd be okay. They weren't gonna do that. People are gonna be out and about. They they've been sitting in their homes for months. So that again, I think that's what the NBA's learned is that you know in summertime, yeah, you might not have as much on TV or in sports to compete with, but you have summer itself to compete with. People camping, people you know having picnics, people going to parks and. You know, being outdoors and just, you know, doing what they can do. Going to drive-in movies and, you know, that kind of thing. Even in a pandemic, there's things that you can do. So, I think that that generally is what the NBA has learned and probably why they're like, you know, they, they pivoted. Where they thought at one point maybe it was possible that you could have a season extending to summer. Now, I don't think they think that anymore. I think that they've realized that ratings-wise it would probably hurt them. No matter what they have to offer, so I think that's what's changed. I think the, I I, I think the owners have seen that, which because they know that they recognize that means a loss of revenue, a loss of money, um, you know, um, you know. I think that um, they're looking at this from the standpoint of okay, if we can't have fans, we can't have ratings being bad either. So what's the best chance we have to get a good, at least a good rating so that we're not able to have fans? But I, I'm sure some places will allow fans, but if they're not able to have fans, what's the best way to be able to at least get, make sure we get a good rating number? Because otherwise we lose revenue. Well, we got to go back to the way it was, where our season primarily takes place in the winter months, in the colder months, when people are home and, and stuck at home, can't do as much outside their home. And I think they also know this too, that there's a very high likelihood. I don't think there's going to be stay-at-home orders. Um, I think everything's going to be very localized, like, you, like you're seeing in New York, where they close down maybe a certain area for a couple weeks and then reopen it. I don't think you're going to see widespread rock lockdowns anymore. But obviously, if, if infection rates go up, more people are going to stay home, just on, on, on default. Um, you know, So I think they recognize that December, January, February, outside of a few instances, you're going to have a lot more people staying home. It's the winter months anyway, people stay home more anyway. Um, and by that, they know that they they might be able, people being at home, it's a, it's a strike while the iron's hot kind of thing, right? We have an opportunity to maybe get back people from our audience that we've lost, to get people that have nothing, you know, are looking for something else to watch. Maybe they're not, you know, football's only on once a week, you know, so we can, we can we don't have to really directly compete with that. Um, you know what I'm saying? So that I think this is their way of like let's reset it back to where go back to where we normally would be. If it, uh, I mean obviously we'd be about a month late or two months late if they start at Christmas, uh, or then obviously almost three months late if they start in January. But still, you'd be right in the middle of the time of year that people usually are accustomed to seeing basketball played, uh, and at a time when people might be spending more time at home. 
and then maybe you get them hooked on your season again just in time for when the summer, the spring and summer hits and the better weather hits. And then, all right, while you do have to compete with that war that weather again and people being outdoors more again, you might have gotten enough people hooked on your season where they'll find some way to watch your games even in the summer because that's usually what happens with the NBA, right? You know, people pe people watch in the winter months, they get invested, and then when the warmer weather hits, yeah, they have to get outdoors more. Maybe they're playing Little League, they're doing other things, whatever. But they're invested, so they're going to find ways and find time to watch your games. And remember, the conventional NBA season usually ends in June. If NBA keeps that date, you're not going that far into the summer. You know, <coughs> a lot of kids are still in school in June. You know, the NBA finals are usually over right around the time kids are just getting out of school. So, you know, you're not dealing with the, you know, uh, um, the high point of vacation season and all that kind of stuff. So as long as they keep that general timetable where, you know, the bulk of the season and maybe, you know, it, it, it's over with and maybe NBA Finals concludes right around the 4th of July, they'd be in good shape. And I don't think they would see the results that they saw, saw this year in terms of ratings. I think they would be back on track. So that's what I think has changed, that they've realized maybe at one point they thought this was a good idea that maybe they could have an NBA season extend into summer and maybe it, it would benefit them. It clearly didn't. It was an experiment. It didn't work out in terms of ratings. Obviously, it worked out in terms of having a season in the middle of a pandemic so they could play the rest of the season out. It worked out in that regard. And it was entertaining. And obviously, they did a lot for social justice causes, so that's good too. It obviously benefited, it had a lot of benefits to it. What it did show was that the NBA fan, you know, whether it's NBA, diehard NBA fans or fans that are like mainstream fans or sports fans that kind of just go with, you know, they tune in when something interests them or, when, you know, and, and it gives them some reason to invest. Those fans are so accustomed to the same time of year for all these sports, baseball, April through October, NBA, NHL, October through June. Uh, college basketball, November through March. College football, NFL, you know, September through January. People are in, settled in their ways. And when and that changes, it's hard for them to, you know, change with it. Especially if you go through what people went through this year, where for a couple months in March, April, May, people couldn't do anything. All of a sudden, in the summer, they were told they could and go outside and, you know, enjoy the weather. And you're telling people, okay, well, you're... That people are telling you to go outside and enjoy the weather. You've been locked in a house for a few months. But then you're saying, well, please watch my game inside the house. Do you really think people are going to come in droves to watch your games after they've been stuck in the house for months? Now, again, that's this, that's this year. That's not going to be the case every year. But in the, it's same, the same thing happens in the winter months. A lot of people spend more time in the house in winter months. Bad weather keeps people in the house. This year with the food season and COVID again, might keep people in the house. Even if they're on stay-at-home or people might choose to stay in the house more. But, and, 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 you know, and that means that if they're doing that now, when April, May comes and the better weather comes, they're going to be stir crazy. They're going to want to get out of the house. So if you continue to insist upon playing more games towards the late spring and the summer months, don't expect people to be like, well, I'm going to make a point to watch your games in the, in the midst of summer when I just spent the whole winter practically in my house. So I think that's what the NBA has realized. And I think that's where their about face and their 180 has come from is that. And why now, all of a sudden, they're thinking to themselves that they, they, they really need to get this thing started earlier rather than later because it, it just makes more sense and it's, it's, it's more in line with the time of year when the NBA usually is played. And again, 
I don't think you can go wrong with either Christmas or Martin Luther King Day or Martin Luther King Weekend. Either one is, fits the NBA, it works. I wouldn't go beyond that. And if that means that you can't have fans for the first month or so, so be it. So I think general, generally, I think they might be a fear of, 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 say, of, of saying, well, let's, let's, not, let's put fans in buildings before like March or April. I think there's a feel, let's get beyond the food season, then maybe we can think about fans, especially since we talk about indoor arenas. But maybe some states will allow, like they're allowing for football game. I, mean, I don't know. We'll have to see how everything ends up at that point. And NBAs are looking into rapid testing. All that might depend on all that. It might depend on all that too. So, but we'll see how it all unfolds. But generally today, the the story you take from this is there's hope now. If you're an NBA fan, wanting the season to come back sooner rather than later, well, today there's hope that that will happen and that you could see the NBA back as early as two months from now. Or maybe even two and a half months from now, because if it extends into January. And I would say a month ago, it looked like we were looking more towards late February, March for a return. And if you ask me what my opinion is, I think they're better off coming back earlier. That, if, if, if for, the, for their own sustainability, I think they're better off coming back earlier. But that's just me. As long as it's safe, then I think they should. And I trust the NBA with it. They've done great. So why should I trust them going forward, right? So, very interesting development out of the NBA today with that piece of news. And we'll continue to follow and see. I think we're going to find out a lot next week because they have to vote on the CBA and everything. I think you're going to find a lot about the NBA's plans going forward next week. And now, the question is, if the NBA does this, does the NHL foster? They've always, they seem like they've worked in tandem throughout this. You know, everything I'm hearing about the NHL is in the, they postponed the Winter Classic. Um, the All-Star Game, so I don't know what their plans are. <laughs> I really don't. And obviously, they have a bigger fly in the ointment that is the Canadian border. And that's a problem for the NBA, too, because of the Raptors. Now, maybe you find a way around it like Major League Baseball did where, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays played here in the U.S. You might have to look for similar situations like that for the NHL and the NBA should you they come back in, let's say, December or January. I mean, NHL definitely back in 2021, probably more like January for them. But, you know, NBA could be back before them. Um, but either way, like, let's say they don't open the U.S.-Canadian border until April. Well, NHL and NBA figure to be back by then. They're, they might have to figure out a plan for, for their Canadian teams. So, something else to think about there. Let's see what their plan would be for that. But I think we'll find out a lot more about the NBA's plans next week. And then maybe the NHL follows suit because they've been working in tandem. So, that, that's something important to think about, too. All right, we're going to take another break. When we come back. I've been doing a lot of talking. It's your turn. What's your thoughts, uh, reactions, comments, opinions on what's go what the NBA is, is talking about doing and what um, the World Series, the plans for college basketball, college football, any, any of it. All Everything in regards to sports on the table. When we come back, you're listening to the Sports Sprint here on this Friday. We'll be right back.
Okay, and we're back. Sorry, um, I had a little bit of a wall there. I had to tend to my daughter. You all know I, she, I, she usually sits right here when I'm doing the show, and she's fussing right now. Um, so I had to do something. I help her out a little bit. Um, she's probably going to fuss a little bit more. She'll probably be hearing her. She's she's not in a generally happy mood today, but that's okay. Most of the time she is. So, um, uh, We'll update on the NBA uh, before we, we jump into some questions here. According to sources, um, they're discussing um, a possibility of starting, this comes from ESPN.com, by the way, uh, well, this ain't the same story I just saw. I saw another story. What the heck happened to it? Starting right before Christmas Day, and maybe playing. Oh, well, it's the same story. Okay, I thought it was a new story. I apologize, folks. I thought there was some new news, but apparently there isn't. So, um, so I'm sorry to get you all excited about that. There is another piece of news, though. The NBA draft to be held virtually at NBA at ESPN Studios on November 18th. So, if you're wondering about the draft, it will start, uh, it will be on, it, we all knew it was going to be on November 18th, but it will be held at the ESPN Studios in Bristol, Connecticut. Um, so, that's when the draft will be held. Um, so, this is what you all know about that and how it's going to be how it's gonna be broadcast. So, there's your information on that. Um, so, NBA, again, we'll find out a lot about the NBA. They're on the ball here. They're trying to get their, 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 they're trying to get things together here because I think they realize that waiting is not going to, Waiting's not, not going to help. I think they figure the earlier they get back, the better, um, based on the way every you know the ratings and everything else as I talked about. So, all right, well, let's see what your thoughts are on what we talked about in regards to the NBA, college football, all of it. Um, I'm glad the NBA is, is is thinking about getting back as as early as possible. Christmas Day would be ideal. It is their spotlight day. It's really what gets a lot of fans interested right out of the gate in the NBA. I'd also say this too. At some point, they're going to have to have a shorter off season. They continue to play uh, seasons later into the summer. And the idea was, if they started in February or March, you're probably going to have to play into the summer in order to get the full season that Silver Curry wanted, or at least the representative season that Silver Curry wanted, um, d- accomplished. So by doing this now, yeah, it's a shorter off season. I'm sure a lot of guys will be upset about it. But at the same time, it was going to have to happen at some point. Better to happen now and get it done and over with than happen later. So at least this will reset the NBA back. And then next year, you can go back to the way everything was completely starting in October and ending in June. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we, we, I think we talked a lot about that over the course of the summer was that that was probably one of the reasons why they were going to be so ambitious. Like the early plans had that ambitious goal of like getting back into December because then it was like, all right. We play a full. We might go a little bit later, but not nearly as late as we did this year, obviously. And then, um, and then you know the following year you'd be back to normal. But then everybody started talking. Well, maybe summer's a good time for the NBA. Maybe they're better off playing later. And and but clearly that that it's been this, it's been proven that that's probably not good. So for them. So yeah, I agree. I mean, a lot of players are going to be upset, but here's the thing. You know, NBA is, is all about load management, right? So a lot of these players are going to, be, are going to see a lot of time off. And, you, and, and honestly, this is probably one of the few years that I'm going to be a proponent of it because you're probably not going to have fans in the stands at least to start. They do start in December or January. 
Um, so I, you know, you pop, you won't lose anything with attendance there. You might lose something in ratings, but you won't lose anything with attendance there. And again, you know, I mean, this is going to be an off year anyway. You know, even if they allow fans at some point, the revenue is going to be all screwed up anyway. So if you're going to have to, things like that happen where they could screw up your revenue, you, you know, let them happen this year. Um, in a year, like next year, you know, you, you, chances are you'd be as close to back to normal as you possibly can be under the circumstances. So you're better off just getting it all on the way this year, right? So, yeah, I agree with you on that. And I, and I, and I, um, like I said, if you can do it safely, why not? And I think they can. They've proven they can. So I think they can. Um, Maybe the NBA should just consider going into a bubble for the first month of the season because there's a general feeling that getting, that things will be on the downturn again in January, that the worst of the second wave will peak in January. So why not go into a bubble, start in, Jan, start, start in January, do a full month in the bubble, then maybe take a two-week break, call it a mini all-star break type thing, and then have them go into the arenas with fans starting in February. Maybe they're thinking of that. I don't know. I don't know what their plans are. I don't know. And a lot of it's going to depend on the players. The players are going to dictate what works and what's comfortable for them. And if I'm being honest, I don't think the players have any ambition to go into another bubble. They just spent how many months in a bubble? And you heard about the mental health toll it took on that. I think there's a feeling now they've done it. They trust. I think they trust the lead to keep them safe. They're seeing other sports get through without a bubble. I think that, and, and I think a lot, of these, a lot the majority of NBA players are super responsible. I think that they're, I don't think they're going to want to go into a bubble, even if it's just for a month. I really, really don't. Not when they just spent how many months in a bubble. This isn't, you know, they're not like the other sports folks. They did, they went into a bubble and they were in it for three, four months. The ones that at least lasted, as well, the, the teams that lasted well into the playoffs. They're not going to want to do it again. They're just not. I'm sorry. So I don't see that happening. I mean, could it be on the table and maybe, you know, maybe they find some way to sell on it to say, hey, that's how we're going to start the season and after that we'll open things up. I mean, I guess maybe it's possible, but in all, in all honesty, I don't see any of these players really wanting to do it again. So, um, the Rays often do a lot of unconventional things with their, with their pitching staff in general, including their starters. You oftentimes see them pull starters from games early, thinking that that opens them up for use out of the bullpen later on in the series. So to that point, now that the series is tied up at a game apiece, do you see any scenario here where if Tampa Bay gets a lead tonight, they pull Morton, thinking that they can use him out of the bullpen uh, later on in the series, Beyond, in, in, in addition to his later start in the series. Well, okay. So, I that's one of the, what you're talking about is one of the reasons why I was shocked that they kept Glass now in as long as they did in game one. Now, I understood from the standpoint maybe Kevin Cash was like, you know what, let's, we, we can, it allows me to use my bull, more of my bullpen later by letting Glass now go a little bit longer. Um, even, with the tra- even with the days off in the series. It's still a way to kind of make sure that you maybe keep more pitches in your bull, pitchers uh, pitchers in your bullpen a little bit more rested and able to do more later on in the series, right? So that's why I was shocked by it. Um, and obviously Snell was always like a five six inning guy anyway. Um, and you don't, and you don't really like to do that with Snell if they can avoid it. Glass Snell they'll do it with even with his arm history problems. Um, and I think they do it with Morton too. Morton's done that in the out uh, of the bullpen with the Astros. So. Um, 
Look, I think it depends here. I, I, I obviously, you know, the conve conventional wisdom says that if you know Morton's going to get another start later in the series, potentially in Game 7, then Morton would not be a guy that you would use because you, you would have to keep holding him back with the idea in case you get to a Game 7. If you pitch him before you get to Game 7, then you might not have him available for Game 7 or you might be compromised. I don't know if you want to endanger that. So I guess it all depends. I think what's more likely, to your point, given the way this is all lining up, is that Glass now becomes one of those guys, and maybe even Snell, even though they don't like to, I don't think they really like to do it with him. I mean, because they both have arm issues, but they seem like Glass now is more somebody they use in this situation than Snell. But these guys are pitching earlier in the series, right? Games one and game two. So what's more likely is Glass now, probably more so in Snell, because Snell pitches game two, so he pitched game six. So, you know, if you use Snell, again, you don't want to use a starter before you use him again in the series out of bullpen. You don't want to do that. So, like, you don't want to use Glass now in Game 4 before his Game 5 start. You don't want to use Snell in Game 5 before his Game 6 start. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to do that because it might take him out of contention for those spots later on in the series. You don't want to do that. So the idea is that once you use a starter for, for as much as you can as a starter in the series, so, like, once you get beyond their second start in the series, you can use him out of the bullpen because number one, it's the World Series. They're not going to play the. You're not. They're not going to start again. So and there's no and, and and the season's over, right? And number two, um, you don't have to worry about like okay, they have to they have a, a, a game tomorrow because or a game in two days. Um, I mean, you could certainly we've seen situations where starters have been used on their throw days to give you a couple of innings or two, which you could do that. Like I would say tonight. I don't know. Would tonight be? I think tonight would be Glassnow's throw day for a start in Game Five. So maybe you could use Glassnow for an inning or two tonight if you want to. Um, I don't know if I'd advise it. I don't think they would. I don't think they're desperate enough to do that. May, but but you certainly now you wouldn't do that tomorrow because you know. Um, because he's be pitching game five, and that's the next day. Now, you could use Snell tomorrow in game four out of the pen, because uh, I would think that maybe would be his throw day for an inning or two. You could do that. Um, but certainly, you don't want to pitch him out of the bullpen the day before he starts. But again, that's all stuff that's desperation. That's stuff that you do in elimination games, no tomorrow, just trying to get to tomorrow. The Tampa Bay Rays are not in that situation. They don't have that problem right now. They're in a series where they're tied 1-1. They're, I mean, and, and so, you know, and, and, and just going back to Morton real quick, if they have a big lead tonight, if they have a big lead tonight, like, and I'd say maybe by big lead, I, I mean five or six runs, even that against a, a Dodgers offense, that might not be big enough because they can score runs in bunches. Um, maybe I could see them saying, all right, let's pull Morton, let's save some pitches. Um, but again, he'd be lined up to start a potential game seven. So I don't know. I mean, certainly, the only way that you'd look to use him beyond pitch starting Game Seven is if you decide to use him on his throw day. So you might consider using him in Game Five, but I don't think I would consider using him anywhere else other than starting Game Seven. So I mean, so I I don't think you have that many options more beyond maybe throwing him an inning in Game Five and then he starts Game Seven. So I mean, if using him for less pitches tonight, maybe in. You could use him for game five out of the bullpen for a quick inning or two, depending on his pitch count. Um, 
but that's all that would really get you because of the way it's all unfolding. There's, you know, it's not like, you know, again, you, you, you don't, you know you're going to use them again in a potential Game 7 scenario. So, you, you, you really, you know, you got to be careful there. You got to be careful there. So, yeah, you're right. They do these things, but they're not going to pitch a guy the day before his scheduled start. They're just not going to do that. You know, Tampa's got three reliably good starters. They want those guys to start those games that they're scheduled to start. Now, again, if, if in Glassnow's case, in Snell's case, once they've done, you know, because Morton would be last, he pitched game seven. Once they're done their duty and pitched their two starts in this series, assuming they do get to pitch two starts in the series, then you can say, all right, come out of the bullpen because you know you're not getting another start. That's vastly different. Vastly different. Assuming they can give you anything. Like if Snell pitches game six and the series goes through game seven, and you got Glass now starting, and you feel like you want to go to Snell. I don't know if I'd really feel comfortable with his history in that pitching him in Game 7 the day after he just pitched. But, again, they know their players better than me, so we'll, we'll have to let that play out. But, but yeah, I mean, the way it's lined up, I don't see many opportunities other than maybe Glass now to do that. Um, so, but, but, hey, Tampa's done some crazy things, so who knows? Who knows? Um... I really don't see anybody in the Pac-12 or Big Ten being a player in the playoffs or in any significant bowl games. Ohio State would be the only one. Even then, I'm just not too sure about where they stand right now. I don't know if there's enough quality teams in the Big Ten or enough teams in the Big Ten that will play well enough to make Ohio State look good enough to qualify for a playoff game or a playoff scenario or a big a big bowl game. First of all, what, what's, I think we need to separate big bowl game and playoff scenarios because look we all know some of these bowl games have situations where they take big 10 teams they have pac 12 teams so whether you think they qualify or not folks um a big 10 big 10 teams and pac 12 teams are going to make bowl game big bowl games okay because sometimes that, that's in the contract all right so that's going to happen and even if it wasn't the contract some of those teams are going to go anyway because they're brand names and they're, they're going to take them from – you're going to say, well, well, wait, they're not going to want fans and stand. They might not, but it's from a rating standpoint too, okay? They're big brand names, and they'll drive audience to the game, okay? So you're, you're going to see Pac-12 teams, Big Ten teams in bowl, big bowl games. You're going to see that happen, okay? There's not going to be enough big big name, power conference, good teams outside if you don't allow them in, okay? Whether they, have, they played enough games in your eyes or not. So that's going to happen. Whether they make the playoffs when there's only four spots, that's a completely different story. And you're probably right in regards to talking about the playoffs, that Ohio State's probably the only team that has a good chance. Based on, you know, we know Alabama is in good shape. We know Clemson is in good shape. I think right now Notre Dame is in extraordinarily good shape. Um, if they can stay up at the top. And then that leaves really one spot, and that spot could be a free-for-all. You look at the Big 12, you know, <coughs> I don't think anybody in the Pac-12 is strong enough to be there. So that, you know, you look at you look at Ohio State for that fourth and final spot maybe um, right now. But we'll see. It has, again, this is, this is where we're going to start to see, you know, you know, over these next eight weeks or so, who's really in it. That's why I said the halfway point is always important because that's when you can start to really look at this and go, all right, 
who's going to be really in contention. Usually you have an idea, like there's two teams that are so dominant that you know they're probably locks. And I think Alabama and Clemson are as close to locks right now as you're going to get. Um, and I think Notre Dame, if they go another couple weeks, they might be close to that point too. Um, that So we'll have, to, we'll have to see about that. But, you know, Ohio State... You know they're gonna have to make some. They're gonna have to have a really solid start here to put themselves firm in the conversation. I think they have a good chance at it if they do. Um, obviously, you look at other SEC teams like Georgia. Um, they'd be in a good, even though they already lost. They'd be in a position maybe. Um, you know, like I said, you look at the Big Twelve teams too. I mean, you got to look around. Um, you know, you're gonna have to see how things go over the next month, month and a half. See what teams play themselves out. What teams make big statements. You know, we'll have to see. We we'll have to see, but I, I, but I think you have to separate <laughs> big bowl games from playoff games. Playoffs, you have four spots, so obviously you're gonna be a lot more selective. Bowl games, you have a lot of big bowl games, and you only have so many teams, and you have contracts in play, and you have ratings to think about. We all know it's about money and business parts of it too, right? So they're gonna see, you're gonna see some Pac-12 and Big Ten teams in big bowl games, folks. You're gonna see that whether the numbers indicated or not. Just be aware of that. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Whether there's a small sample size of games to look at for them or not. Well, let's take one more. Um, let's see. Um... I kind of like the idea of what college basketball is doing for the early season this year. And I wonder if it's something that they might look to do in the future. Having so many of these teams play at the same time in the same location, even if they're in different tournaments, to me is a good way to kind of get an early comparison of some of these teams and kind of look at them for, um, uh, against each other. And maybe it, it's, it'll be good for the committees uh, the selection committee to see this too and maybe help them in their NCAA tournament selections later on in the year. Um, I don't really think it makes a difference, honestly. I mean, you'd be playing these tournaments no matter what. This would all be in one location. And it's not like they're all going to be airing on the same night and you're not going to be like watching them side by side. I mean, look, I think people are... Look, it, the fact these games are being played is good because it's going to give you a, a non-conference measuring stick, which is always important. Um, right now, um, so, um, you know, so as long as the games are being played, that's going to help them with the selections and everything. Uh, there, there's, again, I, I should also say too, they already have said that they're going to look at things, um, you know, um, with not conference a little bit different because they understand you're not going to be able to have the same full schedule. You have to change your schedule. It might have been hard to schedule, that kind of thing. But I don't think, like, it's not like, this ain't like, you know, bracket busters, what ESPN used to do in February, where, yeah, Saturday, where all the, the you know, the mid-majors and a lot of the smaller conference teams would play and, and kind of pro, it, it kind of give them a spotlight to get them some national attention, maybe get the committee's attention, match them up with some good games that could help their RPIs and all that stuff. That ain't, that ain't what this is. I mean, you're playing the same, these tournaments would have played somewhere else, so they're all being played in one location. They're going, they're, they're not, again, you're, I, I think people are getting the wrong idea. They're acting like 
you know, this is going to be like some mismatch, and these play, teams are all going to play. They're not. These are separate tournaments that will be playing in the same location. Okay? So I, I, I really don't think people are, I think people are getting confused about it. I don't think you're going to see, you know, yeah, like you might sit there and go, all right, I just got done watching this tournament, now I'm watching this tournament, so I can kind of compare some of the teams I'm seeing here versus the teams you're seeing there. But you'd be able to do that anyway, because we see these holiday tournaments every year at this time, at that time. Just they're playing in different locations. Here they're going to be playing in the same location. So it's no different. So if you're going to sit there and say, well, I'm watching on my TV and I just watched North Carolina and, 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 the, and the NRT tip-off and now I'm watching the Empire Classic and I'm seeing Virginia. Oh, wow, I can see them how they compare each other. You would be able to do that anyway. Just, just because they're in the same location. Um, North Carolina and Virginia aren't in the same location, but I'm just hypothetically speaking. Um doesn't mean that you're going to, it's going to help be able to help you compare things a little bit better. You would be able to, be able to do the same thing anyway. It doesn't change anything. It's that you know, these teams that are going to be playing at the Mohegan Sun are playing in the same location. They're going to be playing several different tournaments in the same location. That's all it is. It's not like they're all going to be playing each other in the same tournament or anything like that. Okay, so let's keep that. I think some people are getting their signals crossed. I'm thinking it's almost like they're playing in the same tournament. That's not what's going on here. Okay, that's not at all what's going on here. And I don't think it's going to, I, I, the selection committee and people involved will watch these games, but I don't think they're going to be looking at it the same way either. I mean, they're going to be looking at it as if they were looking at any non-conference games early in the season, or any non-conference tournaments early in the season. They would have been able to watch these games the same way. You know? They would, I mean, it's, again, there's no difference. I, I, I stress, because I think people are, because I've seen a couple emails like this already. These, the, the, these teams that I mentioned, this Mohegan Sun thing, is not one big tournament. It's several tournaments coming to the Mohegan Sun to play there. That's what it is. These teams are not all playing each other. They're playing in separate tournaments. Okay? Keep that in mind. Because it's not like you're putting all these guys in one tournament and watching these teams play each other for two or three weeks. That's not what's going on. Now, if they did that, that might be, to your point, that might be a good way of kind of getting a sense of some of these teams. You're right about that. Maybe the committee would look at that and go, wow, that's a really good way to kind of give us a sense of some of these teams. But that's not what's going on here. Obviously, it will be able to help you in terms of resume building. You, you know, the committee, committee members might watch the games and go, all right, that gives you a good start. Gives you, you'll remember that later on in the season. Like, oh, remember in, 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 when they had that tournament at the Mohegan Sun, what that team did, you know, that kind of thing. And obviously, the fans can respond the same way too. Hey, you know, I just watched this. Remember when we watched that, that, that team playing that tournament at the Mohegan Sun, what they did back in December? Even though they're struggling now, they were very impressive back then. You'll be able to say things like that. But to say that you can compare these teams side by side, that's, that, that's not what's going to be happening. I mean, you might get done watching a game, and then an hour later you're watching another game and be like, oh, well, in the, in the last game, that other team impressed me more than this team. You could say stuff like that. But again, they're not all playing in the same tournament. And I think some people are... Getting confused and thinking that's what's going on. That's not at all what's going on. So, but it will help a lot of teams. It could hurt a lot of teams too, but it will help a lot of teams in getting their their not conference games in, and at least getting a spotlight early on in the season. That and that's what the point is to try to get. You know, that's what they're, they're just trying to get these games in and get these games played and give some teams the games they would need to get spotlighted for this NCAA tournament and 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 you know give them a chance. So. So yeah, that's what that's really what it all that's that's really what they're trying to do with the early season games and all these bubbles and whatnot. So, um, but I think people are getting confused by that because I saw people reacting to the article on, on social media as well, as thinking the same thing like, "Oh, this is going to be a great tournament, thirty something teams, like a mini NCAA tournament." That's not what's going on, okay, folks. Different tournaments is all being held at the same location.
please keep that in mind. All right, with that being said, we are going to take another break. Uh, when we come back, we will wrap things up on this Friday. The weekend is upon us. We'll be right back. We're back uh, to wrap things up here on this Friday. Um, we got a busy weekend in sports. Obviously, World Series Game 3 tonight. Morton versus Buer. Game 4 will be tomorrow. Game 5 on Sunday. And then we'll see if they go beyond that. Should be an exciting weekend of baseball there. College football, the Big Ten back in play. So that should be exciting. The NFL, we have Week 7 on Sunday. Some big games. We obviously had a good game last night. We'll talk about that game, the Eagles and the Giants, on the NFL kickoff show. Remember, there'll be an NFL kickoff show on Sunday. We will post it Sunday morning before all the Week 7 games on Sunday. So keep an eye out for that. Um, via our social media, we'll post the links once the episode is ready for you to listen to. Um, it'll be recorded sometime between now and Sunday, so be on the lookout for that. It'll be a big show. We'll talk a little college football on that show as well. We'll talk about last night's Giant Eagles game. And of course, preview all the Week 7 games on Sunday and Monday that are yet to come. So it'll be a big show. Make sure you tune in for that. If you did not tune into our Entertainment 411 show last night, it is available for you to listen to an archive. It was a good show. Got, got into some interesting topics, but we also... Saw the nomination, the, the nomination deadline for the uh, in the spot uh, in the spotlight for the Entertainment Four and One TV Award ballots go by. The deadline was last night. Thankfully, everybody got their ballots in. Remember, we will announce the nominees for the Entertainment Four and One TV Awards on our next Entertainment Four and One show on Thursday, November fifth. So remember, there is no Entertainment Four and One show next Thursday. It's, uh, we're going on a two, every two-week schedule right now, but on Thursday, November 5th, there will be an Entertainment Forum, so that'll be the night we announce the TV Award nominations. And also, for those that would like to be involved in some way with the TV Awards and, and yet to have been, been involved, you can get involved through the live vote. Everybody can, even if you're already involved, but... If you'd like to be involved, if you haven't already, you got the live vote of the awards, and we'll tell you, we'll, we'll announce the categories for those awards on November 5th as well. So make sure you note that. No Entertainment 411 to November 5th, and that'll be a big show. TV award nominations, live voted award information. So you want to make sure you tune into that show um, on November the 5th. All right. Um, as far as our schedule for next week goes, remember, we have an NFL kickoff show, which we posted Sunday, so look out for that on social media. Let you all know when that's up. Then Monday, Wednesday, and Friday next week, we have sports sprint shows at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. We have a sports sprint Saturday Tuesday night at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. We'll talk about Hell in a Cell, which takes place on Sunday for WWE, and everything else that's big from Raw and SmackDown we'll talk about on Tuesday night. So make sure you tune into that. And again, no entertainment for one next Thursday. So that's the schedule for next week. And give you a little bit on the week after as well. Because, again, we don't have an Entertainment 401 show until November 5th. So, please keep that in mind, too. So, that's a little bit of information about what's coming up going forward. So, that's it for today. The show is over. But that does not mean you have to stop interacting. Contributing to the show. Can you have your voice heard? Send us your feedback, questions about the show, scheduling the show, topic ideas. 
things you want us to cover more in, from sports um, or cover at all. Maybe we don't already cover it. Uh, you can do all this and more by email, Facebook, and Twitter. You can email us at thesportsprint at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Sportsprint and find us on Facebook as well. Just search for the Sportsprint on Facebook. And make sure you like our fan page. You can interact with what's going on at the show at all times. If you have any questions about the, uh, our sister show, the Entertainment 401's TV Awards, um, obviously you can always get in touch with us through the Entertainment 401's email, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, but if not, if, you, if that doesn't appeal to you, because remember I said we're having problems with Entertainment 401 Twitter, if that don't work out for you, then you can obviously get in touch with us through the Sports Sprint, which is this show, uh, email, Facebook, and Twitter as well if you'd like. Um, because again, they're sister shows, so keep that in mind going forward. And if you want to do it directly through the entertainment forum, since I already gave you the sports for email, Facebook, and Twitter, you can do that. You can go directly through the entertainment 401 email. Yeah, you can email us at dnt401thursdays at gmail.com or our Facebook, search for entertainment 401 on Facebook. I'll give you the Twitter, even though we have problems with it in case it gets up and running. Uh, it's at dnt411. So if you want to get in touch with us for anything regards to the entertainment forum or the TV awards, you can do that directly through those means, but obviously you can always do it through the sports for email, Facebook, and Twitter as well, and you already have that information. Because again, they're sister shows, so, you know, they connect, so it's all good. Um, Alright? Alright, so again, there will be an NFL kickoff show over the weekend, and we recorded and we posted before all the Sunday games, um, uh, NFL games, so make sure you look out for that on social media, let you know when that's posted. Um, through Facebook and Twitter, so you can tune into that. And again, Sports Prince next Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Sports Prince on the Ring Tuesday at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. No Entertainment 401 next Thursday. Next Entertainment 401 Thursday, November 5th at 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. That's what's coming up in the next couple weeks. Folks, stay safe, stay healthy, enjoy your weekend, enjoy the football, the baseball, and all the other things going on in the world of sports and beyond. And, and again, stay safe, stay healthy. And we'll, we'll talk to you over the weekend on the NFL kickoff and for the sports sprint on Monday at 2 o'clock from Eastern time. Folks, enjoy your weekend. Talk to you soon. Have a good one.